Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. These days, we're all getting more screen time. Which means we're also getting more blue light exposure than ever before. Too much blue light can make your eyes feel tired, dry, or blurry. It can also affect your sleep. Zenni's Blocks lenses help to protect the eyes by keeping harmful blue light out. Because they're virtually clear, add blocks to any Zenni frame for stylish, all-day protection. Get a complete pair of prescription or non-prescription Blocks glasses starting at just $24. Protect your eyes now at Zenni.com. Hey gals, welcome back to Working Gals Guide. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for tuning in. I am so happy you're here. All right, so today's guest is Michaela Slinger, who is a musician, a songwriter, a recording artist. She is just a brilliant creative person in general. Michaela's newest single is coming out on October 22nd, which is, oh my gosh, so soon. That's next week. So make sure you go listen to the single when it does uh, become released. If you do want to pre-save, which I really hope you do, go into the show notes. You can find the link there to pre-save. All right, I'm going to keep today's intro pretty short just because Michaela and I chat a lot about so many different things that I think is so valuable. I don't think today's episode is just for those kind of people who want to go out there and become a musician, become someone in the creative industry. It really is great for anyone in general who is still trying to figure out their passion. Michaela gives so many great stories and really just takes us through her journey in finding her passion, getting through challenges, going through college and even post-grad, still trying to figure out exactly what she wanted to do. I think you're going to find her story very inspiring and also comforting to an extent as well, because a lot of people out there I know are still trying to figure out their passion and figure out what they want to do. Michaela recently did figure that out and she realized that she does want to go and pursue music and that's really what she's doing. She's released songs before, she's released singles, she's working on an album and like I said she's releasing her newest single next week on October 22nd. I love today's chat. We, you know, we're, we're old friends, so we did chit chat a bit at the beginning, but I promise you today's episode is a fun one to listen to. If you do love today's episode, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Again, ratings mean absolutely everything, so make sure you go do that. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Working Gals Guide. As you probably know, if you follow me, I post a lot of funny memes and tweets that I think are really hilarious. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for a laugh, go follow us there. Again, make sure you go pre-save for Michaela's newest single, which is coming out next week. And if you want to follow Michaela in general, the link to her Instagram and everything else is down below in the show notes. All right, gals, thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, here's today's wonderful episode with the very talented Michaela Slinger. Hey gals, welcome back. I am here today with Michaela Slinger, who is actually someone I've known for, I want to say like over 15 years. Is that about right? It's got to be a long time, right? I think it's been a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, we met each other, um, you know, through swimming. So Michaela and I used to swim together at the same club. And then I went to a different swim club, um, kind of around the same (laughs) local area, but we used to compete against each other. And Actually, Michaela's parents both coached me at swimming at one point. So we've been connected throughout the years for a very, very long time. 
I feel like my family is kind of inescapable in the swimming world. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Like, even in the teaching world too, like, I feel like your parents were just like local heroes. Like everyone knew who they were, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. Yes. It, I think, I think as I get older, I realize how formative that is, but it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, my family, you can't go anywhere with them and not bump into somebody they know from like a student that they've taught or an athlete that they've coached in soccer or swimming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, like it or not, like when I was growing up, I, I do appreciate it now. Yeah, you were a popular family. Let me just say that. Like you guys were kind of the people that everyone knew. And it was kind of cool in that sense too. And um, I know I was telling you this before we hit record, but just kind of for everyone listening, Michaela has always had this star power. And I think it kind of goes towards your entire family too. But even when we were growing up, like I always thought that you had something about you where I just knew you were going to do well in life, no matter what you pursued. And I always felt you'd maybe become some sort of big Hollywood actress or, you know, just be in TV shows or maybe sing or something, but it seems like you're actually pursuing it and you really are becoming a star. So it's awesome. Oh, thanks, Simran. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think I definitely had that confidence about me when I was young. And then as you go through adolescence, inevitably you like lose a little piece of that, but mm-hmm. I'm lucky in that my, my family's always been incredibly supportive, honestly, of whatever I've wanted to do mm-hmm. as well. So it wasn't like, even though they were known for being, you know, swim coaches, they forced me to like become an Olympic swim coach. That wasn't yeah. the case at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, for a while there, I'm not sure about you, but one of my dreams was to be in the Olympics and be like an athlete. And I know you like played soccer and did other sports as well. So I always felt some sort of kind of lingering dream where I was like, maybe I'll like be a real big athlete and I'll be on like posters and kids will look up to me and I'll have like a gold medal and be Michael Phelps and whatever. But I mean, for me, that dream, you know, very quickly vanished, but (laughs) it was definitely (laughs) there for a while. I think, I mean, I, I never had big athletic dreams. I think because I always had like music and, and performing as something else that I did. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, it was nice in that way because like, I didn't feel that pressure mm-hmm. with sports growing up. Like, I feel like I remember like you and your sister, like you guys just trained so hard. I feel like I have this image of just like, you know, your mom just like, like taking you guys to like all these obviously practices during the summer. And then yeah. in the winter, mm-hmm. I think you guys did a lot of like did. swimming yeah. stuff in the winter as well. So you were definitely like the kind of family that really like pursued and went after and achieved. Yeah, we were intense. Like that is <laughs> honestly, it was so intense. And like, I, I loved it though. Like it was one of those things where I was just so happy and it always like, this is a different conversation altogether, but people like often think like when you have, um, you know, parents that are like of an Indian background or heritage and um, just for anyone who's listening that doesn't know, I am Indian, but my uh, my dad was born here. My mom was born in India. She came here when she was pretty young. Um But yeah, they almost have this image where it's like all they're going to care about is school and they want you to be like an engineer or like Mm. a lawyer or a doctor, like all those like very stereotypical things. But my family, in fact, was kind of they had that sort of like passion, but it was always about sports and never about uh, kind of like being studious or studying and like making sure we had straight A's in high school or whatever. Like, to be honest, they cared so much more about sports than anything else. And I'm so happy about that. Oh man, I'm so grateful for all of the like extracurricular activities that I did. And you know, yeah. my family was really supportive, not not in an overbearing way, but I'm just, I think that it set me up 
um, for success, even when you're like a little kid and you have school, but then, you know, you have swimming and then you might have soccer or piano. And I I think it like teaches Mm -hmm. you those early stage time management skills. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, you just know, you kind of have to use like a certain energy and frame of mind to do this thing. And then you're going to, going to go to this thing. So even though I was totally like a very scheduled kid, Mm -hmm. I appreciate it now in my adult life. Oh, a thousand percent. And it teaches you, like you said, time management, how to be productive. It just teaches you to multitask and mm-hmm. just be able to absorb things because it's not easy to be an athlete or to be, you know, someone who's pursuing music, like learning piano and whatever it may be in guitar and things like that. So it teaches you how to just be a learner, which is so, so important for the career world, especially. Mm, that's key. Yes. I think my parents also being in like the education world have really drilled that into me, but like being sort of a lifelong student or a lifelong learner and just mm-hmm. like embodying curiosity, whether or not you're actually in school. Yeah. I think that's something I, I appreciate that they've modeled for me. For sure. For sure. So before we get too far into it, this is going to be a very exciting conversation. I am so, so pumped, but I do have a few icebreaker questions for you. So just to preface it, they are pretty silly. Feel free to give a very short answer, explain your answer up to you, but are you ready? Okay. Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Okay, so first question. If you could be in any Broadway musical, which would you choose to be in? Oh, Oh, did you choose this specifically for me? I did. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Um, I was a total theater kid growing up, full disclosure. So, okay. I think, this is just off the top of my head. I was in Beauty and the Beast as a a child, and it's quite a magical show Mm -hmm. to be a part of. Um, but I would be in Beauty and the Beast, like a big production. And I've, I've always wanted to play Lumiere, the candlestick. Oh, and I remember yeah. being really sad because I was like eight and I think yeah. I was, I was too little to, to play that role or I didn't get cast in it. So I would go back and live out my Lumiere dreams. Yeah. So what part did you play then? <laughs> I played LeFou, who is Gaston's little, oh my gosh. little kind of like <laughs> funny, weird sidekick so yeah 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 I was kind of like Gaston's little little punching bag oh my gosh that's so funny so I do have a question um so I wasn't a theater kid like growing up so when you get cast in something do you have to provide your own like wardrobe or do they give you the entire wardrobe hair and makeup all of it when you're performing yes um well I was part of like a sort of like youth community theater group so we would have I guess it was honestly, now that I'm thinking back, just the most dedicated parents ever. So yeah, yeah, costumes were made and parents would sew and, you know, some families were real like theater families. So they would, they would know places where you could go and like rent costumes and stuff. And then we had, yeah, we had our hair done. We had our makeup done by parent volunteers, but lots of those parent volunteers, like, you know, they would work in film or they worked Uh, in theater. So it was, it was pretty legit for a a youth theater operation, I must say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that sounds super interesting. Um, Okay, so our second question, and this is a very silly one. Um, Okay, so Justin Bieber circa yummy or Justin Bieber circa baby? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, I think Justin Bieber circa baby, because that was just like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think like around that time when I was like towards the end of middle school, high school, like music and remembering music, it's so like vivid in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I think it's just the way that your brain development must work. But some of those songs, like one of his songs was my, 
before every soccer game pump up song with my friend, <sighs> yeah. Gabby, mm-hmm. who you actually know. Yeah. And that was our go-to pump up. So I think I just have such ties to like that part of my life and Justin Bieber being you know, a totally indulgent soundtrack. So I'm, oh my gosh, I love that. And Gabby was the most obsessed with him. Like she was (laughs) so into him. It was crazy. I know. That's why when you brought that up, I immediately thought of her and I thought of how like she went to go like before anyone knew who he was, she was like, I'm going to see this guy, Justin Bieber. It was like at a small theater in Surrey. Oh my. What? But she was, she was that hardcore, you know, like he wasn't even playing in, in Vancouver yet. Yeah, I think she actually, didn't she win some sort of contest at some point and she was supposed to meet him, but it got canceled or something? I wouldn't be surprised. It's probably like one of her life's biggest regrets if that did happen. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sure. And like, I I mean, I love Justin Bieber now. I loved him then. I actually, um, I carved his name into my desk in grade eight. And then my teacher got so upset at me. He's like, why does it say Justin Drew Bieber? And then everyone's like, why did you give him a middle name? I'm like, no, that is his middle name. It's Drew. I know. I looked it up on Wikipedia. (laughs) I check his Wikipedia page every day to see if there's anything new. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty bad. It was cringy. I mean, it was what it was, but I like your answer. I mean, I definitely agree with what you're saying. There is certain like soundtracks and songs that do just kind of bring nostalgia. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Justin Bieber and Baby was definitely one of those. Yeah, I love that. for sure. Okay, so last question. Um, Okay, so who is your dream artist or band to see live in concert? And they can be dead or alive, by the way. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. These are hard. I'm sorry. These are really (laughs) hard. Um, Well, I feel like I've been lucky in that some of the artists who I really look up to now, I've gotten to see live. So um, Maggie Rogers, who's a big Mm -hmm. influence for me. I actually flew to San Francisco Uh, with my best friend for one night to go watch her oh amazing Um, yeah yeah she didn't have any Vancouver tour dates and then like a month later she posted one so it oh shoot (laughs) (laughs) felt like we just missed the mark but it was okay it was a fun adventure Um, and John Mayer I've seen live as well so nice yeah I kind of feel like I think if I was to choose I was just listening to another podcast last night and someone was saying that they they saw um the Beach Boys perform like their Pet Sounds record in like the Hollywood Bowl you know, decades ago. So what? I think that kind of like 70s time in that region in LA, there was just so many exciting like folk pop music projects happening. Right. So right. maybe, I don't know if there was like a bill that was shared. It was like Joni Mitchell and then, I don't know, the Beach Boys and who else? Crosby, Stills and Nash, like something like oh, that. Yeah. Just, we look back on it and call it iconic. I think I would love to be a part of that. Oh, that would be amazing. Those are such good choices. I love it. That's awesome. And yeah, Yeah. I mean, I always, it's cool that you saw John Mayer. I always wanted to go see him do the stadium tour he was doing with Grateful Dead. And I never ended up going to anything, but that seemed awesome. Like I watched the videos on YouTube and I just die. They're so cool. Yeah, I didn't actually see that tour, but he, the first time I saw him, I I was just about to graduate high school and I went on a road trip to the Gorge Amphitheater oh, with cool. some friends in Washington. And it was, it was stupid. Like it was so amazing to see mm-hmm. him there. And that location is so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time since then, I've seen him in a stadium, but he still, he still delivers. He is, he's amazing. 
Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I've heard such good things about the gorge too. So that sounds incredible, uh, to the max. Um, okay. Well, we have talked for a bit without introducing you officially. So go ahead and tell (laughs) us about you. Who is Michaela? Give us an intro. Tell us everything about you. Sure. Well, I am uh, Michaela Slinger, and that's my artist name as well. And I am a, a musician, a songwriter, and most recently a recording artist with uh, an indie record label called 604 Records. And they're based here in Vancouver, but kind of work all across Canada. Um, and I guess some other things uh, that are kind of interesting in my work life is that I also, you know, it, um, alongside being a musician, I work for a couple of different nonprofits. So I also love the realm of like youth engagement and education and sustainability and climate work. So those are kind of things that I'm juggling all at once. But my, my main focus right now is really building up my career as an artist. I love that. And I love that you're pursuing it. Like I said earlier, you really do have a star power. And I think that it's really just going to work out for you. And I mean, it's already working out. So I think you're going to go big places. And, um, you know, back in the day, I remember you performing the national anthem at our swim meets, which was, you know, amazing. You had this incredible voice. It was so big and beautiful. And just, you had the best, uh, just the best voice for someone who was so young. And I know that the swim meets weren't the only place you're performing. I know you've performed at different Canucks games. And I think you said NBA games as well, which is awesome. So that passion for music and singing, it must have come from a very young age then. It really did. Yeah. I mean, like earlier than I can really consciously remember, but I love kind of talking to my mom about this, but she just says like, when I was, you know, 10 months old, sitting in the backseat of the car, if we were driving, I'd be like singing and humming along and making sounds to the radio, like Celine Dion was singing. Mm -hmm. And even when I was in her, like when she was pregnant with me, I was just always very responsive uh, to music and always kicking and always moving. So oh, interesting. I think it just, yeah, like it, it sort of emerged. And then as soon as I could talk, I was always singing. Um, so the, the NBA story, um, it's funny when I do like radio interviews and stuff, I think people really love that because it's kind of wild. It's like, there's a video of it. It's like, there's a three-year-old that sang the anthem <laughs> at the NBA game. It's so random. But the the quick story was just that my mom was on the phone with a friend and he worked for the Grizzlies at that time, that was the NBA mm-hmm. franchise here. And I was probably, I was singing in the back, probably being distracting, you know, some kind of like three-year-old like, la, 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 la. Yeah. And he was like, what is that noise? My mom's like, oh, it's Michaela. She's always singing. And then I guess it developed from there. And he was like, well, we should put her to the test. Does she want to like sing the anthem at an NBA game? My parents were kind of like, I don't know. Sure. Let's <laughs> see if she really like has a knack for this. So, right. Yeah. And then they, they took me to the stadium and I think they were absolutely terrified for me, but I did it and I made it through. And then from there, they were like, yeah, I guess she really likes this. And they put me in, you know, uh, vocal lessons and and theater and stuff like that. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's such a cute story. Were you belting like (laughs) Celine Dion in the background or something insane? I'm, I'm sure that I was, or I mean, attempting to as best as a, like a, a two and a half or three year old could ever ever try to do Celine Dion justice. That is so crazy to me because I have, um, some of my cousins have kids now because my cousins are a bit older and their kids are around, you know, three, four years old. And I cannot imagine them being able to actually get up and sing in front of like hundreds of thousands of people. I cannot imagine it. Like that is crazy. It's insane to think a three-year-old had the confidence and the ability to get up there and sing beautifully in front of everyone. 
That's insane. <laughs> I know. I, I I miss that little girl at times, you know, because I, I think now if I was to go back and like sing the anthem an NBA game or a Canucks game, I would be far more nervous than I remember right. being when I was three because the, the stakes are pretty low. It was like I, I could really only see up to people's like kneecaps, mm-hmm. players, you know, and I probably wasn't even aware of the audience so much. But now yeah. when you get old, you're so aware. You're like, there's cameras on me. There's people with phones. There's, mm-hmm. you know, they could go and follow me on Instagram. They could look me up. So there's a lot there's a lot of pressure as you get older. A hundred percent. Like, do you remember much from that performance beyond what you've seen in YouTube videos and whatnot and people telling you, but do you actually remember the process itself and being there and singing? Oh man. It's so hard to know that stuff, right? Because you always, yeah. every time you like look at a video, you kind of associate that into your memory and it's yeah. so hard yeah. to think, to parse apart. Like, is that a, a true actual memory or am I remembering something that I've seen? Right. But the one memory I think I do have like through my own eyes is the sound check when I was walking like I walked into the middle of the the court at what's now Rogers Arena in Vancouver and all the players were warming up and so I just remember like I'm pretty sure that one of them like walked over top of me because I was so small (laughs) and all these guys are like six foot you know five six so I just remember standing there with the mic and I had my little family friend who was my helper in case I messed up but then there were just all these like huge ginormous men like I'd never seen people so tall wow oh my gosh that's so crazy what a cool story though like (laughs) literally no one else I'm sure can say they did that you must have been the youngest person ever to ever perform in any sports uh event I would say like that's insane (laughs) I don't know we should fact check that maybe I I should this is like uh, some record that I'm not promoting yeah, exactly. No, you should. We should fact check. I will before this was released. I'll fact check. Okay, so where do we go from there? So you start singing, you get put into vocal lessons, into theater, your parents, you know, are taking it more seriously because they found out you, you know, you are the next Celine Dion, whatever, you know, we have this in our heads now. So where does that take you from there? So you start doing theater and all of it. But do you take music seriously? Like, do you know you want to be an artist when you grow up? Oh, man, I... I totally did. I think that's the interesting thing about my trajectory is I, like, I totally identified as a performer and a singer and just an artist when I was young. And then I, I kind of let myself get away from that a bit and only recently have come back to it. But when I was probably from like seven to age 11 or 12, I was so invested in theater. I loved musical theater. I thought I was going to be on Broadway. And that was kind of my, my dream. I, I love to dance. I love to act. I love to sing. Um, and my parents were very supportive, but like I said, you know, I did theater. I also did a lot of sports. They had me in piano. I didn't really take to piano that much because I wanted to be a pop star and I didn't want to mm-hmm. do like Royal Conservatory. So, you know, they were, they weren't pushy in that way, but I, the, the foundational blocks were laid. And then when I got to high school, my focus kind of started to shift and I felt a little bit less of a connection to musical theater and more of a connection to, um, like musicians and to songwriting. And I'd actually always written songs from like age 10 onwards. And my mom got me like a little old school voice recorder one Valentine's day. And my sister and I would go around and we'd like record talk shows and I'd record song ideas. And I had this little notebook. So I kind of started to explore that and actually like big, big shout out something that was really quite important in that development was that my high school um, in Port Moody, Heritage Woods, they had a really excellent like music uh, program infrastructure. So I took guitar 10, which was a class. And that's where I learned to play guitar, mm-hmm. which really changed the way that I kind of wrote music. Cause before I'd written it on the piano, my mom had an old piano in her basement. Right. So having two instruments and like a guitar is just so portable 
that was awesome. And then I took music composition 11. So that was the first time where I learned how to, in a very rudimentary way, like record songs on GarageBand and demo right. out my ideas. Um, and honestly, like this, this might sound kind of silly, but I think as a very busy person and a very social person, being a music composition in grade 11 was the first time that I ever like just sat with my creative ideas for the, you know, whatever hour and 15 minute class length. And I remember I'd like, I'd leave that room and there was like another kind of quieter room. And I would, I'd like lock myself in this little closet and I would just write and experiment and record ideas. And I'd never done that before. Mm -hmm. So having the time and space to do that in a really safe environment um, was pretty special because I know a lot of schools, you know, arts are the first thing to to get cut. So that was so important for me. And then I joined in grade 11, like an after school songwriting club with a local musician as well. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And I just, it, I totally got bit by it. It was really infectious. Um, and mm-hmm. so then I ended up, I think I quit musical theater officially in like grade 11 and started to get ready to go to university and just kept writing songs. Right. Right. And what did you study at university? Yeah. So this is like the the interesting thing about the path is even though I, I knew that I always loved music, I also, I loved school and I, you know, the school system kind of worked for me and I did well and I liked like achieving good grades. I got into this kind of unique liberal arts and science school, which is actually uh, in Squamish, BC. So just outside of Vancouver. Um, and I went there specifically because I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew okay. I wanted to do like something with meaning that was purposeful but I felt really overwhelmed because I, I graduated high school when I just turned 17 and I was right, like, I cause you skipped a grade, right? At some point I, I did. Yeah. I skipped grade four. And so I was graduating at, at just 17 and I was like, I can't, I can't select what I want to do for the rest of my life. I can't no. choose a department. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I like so many things. Honestly, I've always liked so mm-hmm. many things. So quest was unique in that the program, like it, you had to do a little bit of everything for your first two years it's very like interdisciplinary. That's the whole focus of the school's program. So I really did a little bit of everything in my first two years. And then you kind of like self-design a major, I guess I would say. So I asked a question and then you choose classes that relate to you trying to design your answer to this question. Um, And it had nothing to do with music at all. Like I thought I was going to go into like nonprofit work and like work my way up, maybe start my own nonprofit in like the youth education engagement like uh, political engagement space right right Um, and I I did music on the side like I had a a cover band with some of my roommates and I would perform at open mics I started performing some of my own original material for the first time in public at those open mics but it was always a side thing like I didn't focus on it at all at school and when I graduated I didn't think I was pursuing that at all Mm -hmm. right interesting so that's so interesting to me that like you you thought you wanted to go one way but it's almost like you had this moment where you decided, Hey, I actually do want to pursue music because now you are pursuing it more seriously and you've signed on with a record label and all of that. So after graduating, did you in fact go into some sort of nonprofit work? Did you start something yourself or, you know, what did you do right after you graduated? Yeah, I did. I, um, I mean, I took like a, a few months off cause I, every summer, you know, as I'm, I'm sure you did too, you kind of just like put your head down and try and make as much money as possible. So I spent like 12 hours a day at the pool as a lifeguard and a swim coach. So when I finally graduated, I I traveled for a couple months, came back and I got a job right away um, as the executive assistant to the COO at a provincial nonprofit. 
Oh, beautiful. And they did, awesome. yeah. And they did like, um, kind of like employment services and trying to support people to find meaningful work. Um, if they kind of had barriers to traditional employment. Right. So I was like right in that world from the start. And, um, I had a really excellent boss. She, I would consider her a mentor. She was incredibly supportive. And at the same time, like, I think, you know, you think that something's going to be a certain way and then you get into it and you realize, oh God, I'm not not liking this. I'm not suited to this. I've talked to other friends who I think maybe in a, in a lot of entry-level positions, it totally depends on the sector. Like some people have Mm -hmm. so much work, but I think something I found that I struggled with as a very like kind of go, go, go achieving person was that I felt like in an eight hour workday, I only actually had like four hours of four or five hours of work to do. Yeah. And then, you know, there are these moments where I was like, I'm not really sure if there's work for me to do. I'm kind of waiting on other people. I'm refreshing my inbox. Mm -hmm. I'll read a news article and, and feeling that kind of like aimlessness or that my input wasn't totally like connected to the output and what was happening that yeah that just felt really really hard for me and I totally need to be around people (laughs) all of the time and engaging Mm -hmm. with people I love like high level creative like meetings um and and that wasn't happening a lot for me so I did really struggle to to be honest and it was tough because it was a great salary and I had benefits and it was like my foot in the door in this professional world Mm -hmm. but once you kind of acknowledge to yourself like it, it took me several months And once I acknowledged, like, I don't actually think I'm happy in this, I could not, like, I could not go back. Once you allow yourself to admit what's going on, then I'd show up to work and I was like, I'm not in this anymore. Like, this just doesn't feel right. And I also don't like to half-ass anything. So then I was like, I need to have a conversation and figure out the next step. But the next step felt terrifying because I didn't know what it was. Right. And like in that moment, did you feel like maybe it's just this job in particular that isn't right for me? Maybe it's this company in the setting and the atmosphere that isn't right for me. And maybe I should actually go to a different, uh, you know, corporation. Maybe I'll actually excel there. Or at that moment, did you feel like I don't even want to do this whatsoever? I want to pursue music full time. And that's the pivot I'm going to take. Mm-hmm. I think it, it was it was the latter for mm-hmm. sure. I would, um, oh man, I remember these memories are all coming back to me, but you know, I'd be dressed in my somewhat like corporate outfit in my office, Mm -hmm. kind of alone. And I would like, I was obsessive on Spotify, looking at all these new artists and I'd read articles and I was like, I don't know, you just, you kind of feel like you're watching other people live out your dream. You You could be doing exactly. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a little bit torturous. Like sometimes I remember like looking at it in the office and I'd feel like tears at the back of my eyes. But the, the mm-hmm. thing was like, I was the only person standing in my way, right? Like yeah. I'm so fortunate. A lot of artists, like they don't have family support, but my, my grandparents, when we'd talk on the phone, they're like, are you really still not? I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to the Perfect Scam podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pursuing music, you know, they're like, you're, do- you're working in an office. <laughs> so everyone else was like in on the, on the situation. And I think it just took me a little bit longer to accept that I'd, I'd kind of always known what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just riskier. And I'd, I'd always, I'd always imagined a certain level of like, you know, I'll make maybe this much 
money and I'll, I'll be able to access X, Y, and Z and I'll like look this certain corporate way. And so leaning into that, like, I'm going to take a risk and try and be an artist. And I have no idea how to do this. Mm-hmm. That just felt really, that felt really scary as like a, a type A person who likes to, I don't know, achieve, you know, in quotation yeah. marks, like achieve typical kind of success measures. For sure. And was there like an element where it almost felt like you wouldn't have as much security and you're not sure if the financials are going to be there if you are pursuing music? Whereas if you have, you know, a job like you had previously, it's kind of there and it's set for you. Like, you know, you're going to get paid this much every two weeks and you know, you're going to get benefits and X, Y, Z, and there's job security and this and that. But was that kind of a fear of yours or was that just something that you disregarded because you were so passionate about the music at the time? Oh, man. No, I am. I don't know. I'm not really into the world of horoscopes. My sister is, Mm. but she read something to me about my, my sign. And I also had a friend who read my tarot card. So I always try to dip my toes into this world because I like learning about myself. And it was very much like, you need security to be able to take risks. And that resonates so true for me. Like I'm not the kind of creative person that can just like throw caution to the wind. I'm going to live in a van for three months and not have anything lined up. Like I like to have a plan. I like to have stability So I've always kind of had like two jobs on the go on the side to support myself while I do music because I, I don't know, I think like total freedom, total openness, it actually suffocates me a little bit. So I I sometimes I like the constraint of doing a couple things in a day, because then if I only have a few hours to write before I have a meeting for a nonprofit, you know, I've got to, I've got to get it together and I've got to write that song pretty quickly and like be focused, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, so what really made you make the leap and say, I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to pursue music? Like, what was the one moment internally that made you make the decision? I have such a like visceral moment of this. It's actually, it's cool that you asked that, but I, I was writing a lot. I was working from home for a a while because we were writing a big proposal at this first nonprofit and I'd be, you know, on the computer, had like my two desktops going and was for the government. And it was like lots of money on the line. But then I would always get distracted because I was just writing songs constantly during this period. I think because I felt that internal tension of like, you need to leave, you need to take the risk. But I was scared to take the risk. And I ended up um, one day like sitting down on the couch and I wrote this song. It just like really, it just came out. It was one of those mm-hmm. writing sessions that's almost an accident. Um, and that was when I actually wrote Flux, which is the first song oh. I ended up Mm-hmm. releasing a year later so I wrote that song and it, I was like this is actually you know I should maybe try and record this so I reached out to some friends who were artists and I got the name of a producer in Vancouver and I took this song to him and he was like okay cool let's let's start building it up so we kind of built it up that day in the studio and I left the studio that morning at like 1 and it had transformed from this song I initially played him just vocals and guitar to this really big sounding track with all these elements that he added and I remember biking home from his studio and like a deep east fan at like 1 30 in the morning no cars on the road and I had my headphones in and I was listening to the track over and over and I was like oh my god it was like I I can't describe the feeling I was like oh I'm like this is my life now like oh the gosh. feeling of listening yeah to the song in that way like fully realized I'm listening to the idea in my headphones like it was very infectious so that was the moment where I think, like it or not, I was like, I'm going to have to just do this forever. Yeah, this yeah. Is, It just felt, it totally mm-hmm. clicked. Yeah. And it's like, you took that step and it became real for you because all of a sudden, like all these real things were happening where someone was, you know, helping you kind of build it up and you were listening to it. And 
it's a gorgeous song, by the way. I do love it. I love the music video that goes along with it. I think it's just such a such a beautiful piece. And it's amazing to know that you wrote it yourself. And it's just you pouring yourself into these lyrics. And you've built this incredible piece of music. So I really do love it. I feel like it's the perfect song to kind of put to the story as well. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely like definitely draws on those themes of uncertainty and being in your early 20s and trying mm-hmm. to navigate and, and thinking that's, I just felt so volatile. It'd be one day I'd yeah. be like, no, 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 mm-hmm. this nonprofit thing, it, it totally works. It's great. Mm-hmm. And then like the next hour I'd be like, why am I crying? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, exactly. So where does it go from there then? So do you fully record this song and do you sign with, you know, the record label around that time or was, you know, there kind of a period in time where you were just focusing on writing and then you signed with the record label? Yeah, there was there was honestly a long period before that. So I I recorded Flux in early 2018, and I ended up um, submitting my notice at my nonprofit in June, um, which was I mean that's maybe a conversation for for a, a different time. But quitting jobs is very stressful, and it, it really <laughs> that, those were some dreadful weeks leading up to that. Um, but I had the conversation. My boss, my mentor, was very understanding, mm. um, and it was actually interesting. And I think this speaks to like nurturing those mentorship relationships and having really great people in your corner in your early career is when I sat her down and I told her, I was like, I need to leave. I really want to pursue music. She was kind of like, she's like, as soon as you came into this job and I got to know you, I knew that you wouldn't last in this role. Like it just doesn't, the admin kind of style doesn't suit you. You're like a big thinker, creative person. She's like, I didn't think that you would leave so early. And I mm-hmm. thought maybe you'd move into another role in the organization, but she was like, it, it makes sense to me that you've realized that this isn't for you. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. but she said that with like, you know, respect, it wasn't, she wasn't trying to slight me or anything. She was very supportive and still is actually to this day, we're still in touch. So from there, I, I didn't have a plan. I knew I wanted to secure some like part-time contract work in the nonprofit world so I could support myself while I tried to do more music. So that summer so it, as it goes, I think often I quit my job. And then I remember like later that day or the next day I got a phone call. I was still finishing up my role at the office mm-hmm. and someone was like, Hey, do you want to be an outdoor education facilitator at this like off the grid summer camp for youth? Oh, okay. So random. And I was like, sure. That's exactly that's so the kind weird. of stuff okay. that I'm looking for. You know, it's like, as soon as you take the leap and you open up space mm-hmm. stuff, comes to you it's it's very weird and maybe a little woo-woo for some of your listeners so right but did you <laughs> did you apply for this or did did it just come to you like how did they get in contact I'd, with you yeah I'd, I'd been connected with this person who worked for like a youth empowerment organization uh before and we chatted and I'd I'd done some like one-off facilitating they did a lot of programs in schools but this was actually mm-hmm. a new venture for them they'd purchased this summer camp property uh, in hundred mile house that was sort of mm. um, about to go under and they wanted to transform it and bring their, their programming eye to it, but it had a lot of work to do. Right. So it, right. Was, it was random. She was like, you know, I know you kind of do this facilitation stuff and you're maybe looking for a change. Do you want to come live at this off the grid summer camp for a month? Um, so I, I did that and I ended up doing that for a couple different stints of of one to two weeks that summer Mm -hmm. um and then I also had been going for coffee with another organization I'd had my eye on for a while called City Hive and I'm naming them because I'm still with them today and I love the work that they do um but I just always thought they were really cool and that it could be a good fit for me in a part-time role um they're a totally youth-led team they try to connect like young people to decision making with cities so we'd gone for coffee dates and this was even while I was at my old nonprofit. but I think that's one thing that I have always done. And I think it set me up for success with flexibility is I've always just tried to 
like nurture connections that I've made, even if at the time you're not looking for a, a job or an opportunity, it's just nice to so inform folks, right, of what you're doing. So after yeah. that third coffee date, um, once I'd quit my job, it was sort of like, yeah, we've kind of thought over the past few months as, as we've gone for coffee, there could eventually be a partnership here. And now we want to hire you for this part-time communications role. So then I ended up having a couple contracts fall into my lap but they were flexible enough that I could still do music. And I started going to some music conferences. I started writing with some producers here um, and it all just sort of like fell into place in a way, you know, I was open to it and I worked for it. And then also things just came my way and I was able to say yes. Cause I had yeah, that space. That's amazing. And yeah. And kind of going back to what you said, I think building relationships and nurturing those relationships is so, so important. I talked to so many people on this podcast, outside of this podcast and people that work in all different industries and jobs, not just, you know, some sort of artistic role, um, but also people in kind of corporate careers as well, where they literally just built relationships with relationships with people. And then from their doors started opening because that person connects you with someone else, or that person themselves has something come up where they're able to bring you in or hire you or give you some sort of freelance work. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's so important. And I mean, a lot of people like ask me as of recently, not to make this about myself, <laughs> um, but a lot of people recently have asked me, you know, how did I get, you know, some writing gigs with like pop sugar and like betches and, and whatever, mm-hmm. because I've started to kind of do that on the side. And it literally was just what you, what you said right now. Like I met someone online that I connected with and, you know, over LinkedIn. And from there, we just chatted, you know, every so often kept them updated. And then from there blossomed into an opportunity. And as soon as you're open to it, things do start coming a lot of the times and might not always be the right things. And sometimes you kind of have to sift through the opportunities, but they will come Mm -hmm. to you. And I think as long as you're open-minded and you make space in your, in your mind and for yourself to actually take on, you know, the path that you want to go, it'll be, it'll just work out to be honest. And, you know, things are slow and for myself, for other people I talk to, sometimes progress can be slow, but at the same time, as long as you feel like you're taking steps forward, it honestly does work out in my opinion. So it's really cool that you have that story. Yeah. And I think like to go back, I mean, this has served me well in in music and in my like nonprofit work as well. But when I was getting ready to graduate university, I kind of, you know, six months out or at the start of that fourth year, I realized like, oh man, my whole life and my connections are kind of on this campus because I lived on campus. Mm. And I was like, I need to figure out a way to get a a pulse on what's going on in Vancouver, where I kind of knew that I was going to be living. And so I, I did a, a program, like a sort of like a training program, professional development, but for young people. And then I was like, whoa, this is really cool. There's so much happening in Vancouver. And then I just challenged myself. And this is very easy coming from an extrovert who loves meeting people. But I just kind of Mm -hmm. cold emailed like five people who I'd seen the names of or I thought they were doing cool work. And I asked them to go for coffee with me and to give me some advice as a, you know, an emerging graduate who wanted to enter into like the the nonprofit sector. And like everybody said yes, you know, Mm -hmm. and they didn't know me at all. But I think people appreciate um, being noticed by younger folks as a potential mentor and talking a little bit about their journey. And so I would really recommend that for anybody. I know it's funny now with um, like maybe a, a Zoom coffee, but you'd be yeah. surprised. Mm-hmm. And even if you'd think nothing comes of that relationship, like you said, I'm doing this right now this week, I'm circling back to somebody who I had a random coffee with two years ago. 
Mm. right? And now I'm reconnecting with her and there could be a, a future opportunity for us. So you really never know. It's just about building your network and not in a weird narcissistic way where you're like using people no. as a transaction, but it's just like, there's so many people doing so many things. Um, it's and true. You can just like be a little part of that. Uh, I don't know. I think it'll just help in the long run. It does. And it really does in a lot of ways. And sometimes as well, like even though you might be reaching out to them to get some advice or get some mentorship, sometimes you end up helping them and connecting them with new people or ideas. And, you know, maybe you're able to give something to them as well. But the other side of it too, and the reason I think people are so receptive to messages, whether it be a cold email, a message on LinkedIn, whatever it's going to look like, I think they're receptive because they probably got some sort of mentorship when they were younger or maybe they lack the mentorship and they really wish they had someone. So with that being said, a lot of times I feel like people do, they do enjoy helping people out when they, you know, they say they're looking for advice and they seem to be ambitious. And if you are cold emailing or messaging someone, a lot of the times it means you are driven and you are looking to get ahead and they really want to help foster that in any sort of young person possible. So a lot of times it does work out. I mean, there will be times when people don't reply to you and that's totally fine as well. Sometimes it can be a numbers game, to be honest, and you just have to put the feelers out and see what you're going to get back. Oh, that is, um, that's life as a musician is put out a hundred feelers and get, you know, three responses. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it definitely is humbling, but you just can't, you can't take stuff super personally I say that as though like that's how I live my life but I don't I definitely take stuff personally Mm -hmm. but you just kind of learn yeah people are busy and of the you know 20 invites for coffee dates that you send out the people that get back to you you know those are probably the people that will be invested in getting to know you because they've seen a little bit of themselves in you or in your ask yeah for sure so a question I do have for you um and I'm not even sure if you can even give me an answer but what really made you want to pursue music as something that you, you know, you songwrite and you're going to sing it yourself and you're going to really mm. be the artist yourself versus maybe going into the production side of it or maybe running some sort of record label? Like what made you choose actually being the singer? Hmm. Um, well, I think, you know, a big part of it is just I've always like loved singing mm-hmm. and and songwriting and those just feel like natural, you know, natural abilities that I I do have for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and I think I I just notice in myself like I feel the most myself or the most energized when I'm in that kind of like creative uh collaborative space where there's a lot of possibility um and that's totally not limited to something that is you know explicitly creative like music like I think some people can get really stoked doing business development for a company and that can feel Mm -hmm. quite generative and creative but for me, that's just where, I don't know, you know, when like you, you just feel like almost like it was like en- energy, like shooting out of your fingertips. You're yes. so excited with the work that you're doing. I think it's like paying attention to those feelings. And for me, that happens when I've written a good song or, or tracked a demo I'm really excited about. And then I get into the studio and then I'm talking music video concepts with my director. Um, so I just not- noticed that I feel my best and it's like, I want to chase that feeling as much as I can. And that feeling happens Mm -hmm. when I'm, you know, writing and and being a musician. 
Yeah, that's huge. And one of the reasons I ask is because a lot of people do struggle to figure out what they want to do. And a lot of times it might feel like the right thing for certain reasons, because sometimes the money's there, like we mentioned before, or there's job security or whatever it Mm -hmm. may be. But you know, it's like you said, you have to have the energy. It has to really make you feel alive and you want to wake up and do the job itself. And you want to be thinking about it. And it just makes you, you know, just a better person being able to pursue whatever job you're doing. If you don't have those feelings, sometimes it may not be the right thing, but you know, I, it's amazing that you found that feeling in that now that you're pursuing it, because I feel like a lot of people out there aren't as lucky where they, they haven't found it and they're still searching. So it's really cool that you have. And I think the, the insight that you just gave right now in terms of almost that intangible feeling that you have about it, the excitement, like that's really what people are searching for. So again, super cool that you found it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And I I do feel really grateful. Like there's, you know, there's also a lot of pressure, I think, especially on people our age where you're, Mm -hmm. you want your work to give you that, that feeling and to kind of like be your, your purpose and your fuel and I also think it's okay, you know, if you don't find that, if, if that spark doesn't happen to occur, like with your work, you know, as long as you're getting that somewhere, even if it's a, a hobby or like a, a project that you're doing, it doesn't even have to be monetized, you know, like it is really hard sometimes to make a living with what your passion is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I would not identify myself right now as making a living with music, right? Like I'm working at it and I have a lot of support, mm-hmm. but I still have many side hustles that I'm doing, um, to support myself financially. So that's why if you kind of want to have your passion and your living intersect, you better, you know, really love it because chances are you're going to be doing it on the side for a while. Um, and if it exhausts you after you're already depleted after a day of other work, then it's just going to leave you as kind of a shell. So if it's something that energizes you and you can look forward to and do it outside of whatever makes you money at that time that, you know, that's kind of the golden recipe. And then hopefully from there, it'll, you'll eventually start to see uh, money and and connections come in that way. And you can sort of Mm -hmm. limit the other stuff that you do on the side, but it is a challenge for sure. For sure. For sure. And um, speaking of being energized, talk me through some of the exciting milestones that you've had. So of course, some of those might be, you know, releasing your singles, uh, creating your music video, a lot of those different things. So what are some of the really interesting or kind of big, exciting milestones that you've had? Yeah. Um, you know, it was funny the other day, my, my Google drive was almost at capacity. So I was going through my old documents to see if I could delete anything. And I went into my high school folder and I found an application for actually it was for, for lifeguarding, I think, but I was in high school at the time and it was like, what's on your bucket list. And I listed five things. And one of those things was to hear my own song played on the radio. So I must've written that when I was like 17 or 18. So a milestone was, you know, when I released flux and when I released my my most recent single tarot as they both were on the radio and I got to do like a radio interview and a premiere um so that's just been quite cool is seeing the snowball effect of my own music played on the radio or takes a life of its own on Spotify and with flux it's been out for over a year and you know it's top cities that it's listened in are New York and Chicago Oh, and Los Angeles. Wow. So there's, yeah, it just, it, it is kind of amazing in this very uh, tech integrated world we're living in. Like you don't, there's no magic formula. You don't know what's going to happen. So I think knowing that people are listening to my music in different corners of the world, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, signing with 604 was massive. It felt like a huge validation of the work that I had put in, but also just 
I don't know, I guess in a, in a business sense, it would be like, you have this idea and you've been working so hard and then you find your first like early investor who's going to be with you, you know, for the long haul, that's kind of what it feels like to me. Um, so people who are willing to assume some of the risk and pour in their own resources and time and they see your vision um, and they want your vision to be realized just like you do. That was really exciting. And then uh, last summer I got to do a, a program in Toronto called Canada's Music Incubator. Um, and that was the first time where I'd just done music full time. You know, I wasn't doing any side jobs. I was there. They like paid for my expenses and they gave me a, a very small weekly stipend so I could get groceries. Mm-hmm. And every day it was the focus of the program was actually artist entrepreneur, which is very, very relevant, I think, for any creative. So it was not just songwriting sessions and working with producers. And I actually wrote a lot of my album there, but it also was like, how do you structure yourself as an artist? Are you sole proprietor? Are you incorporated? Here's how you do your finances. Here's like the 101 of contracts. Here's the 101 of music law. Um, there are just so many things that you have to think about when you're starting out as a creative and you have to be your own self-advocate. Um, and I think that really like emboldened me. It just made me feel like I had a better sense of this super convoluted industry. Right, right. No, <laughs> yeah. that's super cool. That must have been, was it hard to get into that program? It sounds super exciting. It was really exciting. I mean, I, I'd applied and I didn't totally know how I was going to make it work financially because uh, there's a cost for most people to participate mm-hmm. and then when they told me I got accepted it was I was excited but I also was kind of like oh gosh how am I going to do this I don't think I have enough savings um, and I was working like three jobs at that time and then they also were like oh we get funding to you know select two participants uh, each year to come participate in this program and we've kind of looked at your portfolio and what you've been up to and we'd like to provide you with this funding so it it just was, it was astonishing. Um, it totally changed the experience. Cause I think if I'd gone and I hadn't had all of that support, I would have been keeping my jobs remotely, maybe even trying to pick up like a job in a cafe while I was there right. um, and not having to do that, which is truly like such a gift. And that, that's not really talked about in music, but you know, when people are like, Oh, I just go to my family cabin for two months out of the year and write, like yeah. there's so many different kind of like privileges and ways that people do have time or don't have time but the ability to only focus on music for those two months again I wanted to chase that feeling because I loved it just being a musician I felt like so on and I just felt like so tapped in creatively I was just thinking about the music industry and writing for two months it was incredible so I think even if, if you're starting out creative or you have a side project if you can give yourself the gift of time even if it's like two or three days at an Airbnb but you're just gonna live that sort of like ideal life that you want to live in that zone um it really it changes things it it makes you see that it's not that far away and that that lifestyle is I don't know you want to chase it in a good way yeah for sure and I think a lot of people don't take the time to pursue it like maybe they dedicate a few hours here and there but if it doesn't work out within those few hours it's like okay it's over it didn't work whatever you know etc etc but it's incredible that you got that opportunity to just pursue it and I mean it's awesome that you got to write a lot of your album there. And it sounds like they were teaching you things that, you know, it's not like you're going to writer's school or singer songwriter school where you get to learn it. And that was kind of your education around it, which is just, I'm sure a huge asset that you've been able to use moving forward. Oh, totally. It was great. And just to be surrounded by other artists who were at a a somewhat similar stage. And at that time I was still independent and most of the artists there were independent. So there's a lot of like sharing of resources and mutual support going to see you know fellow people in the program perform in Toronto like that it was just really fun 
um, and supportive kind of space. Before we go, um, you know, the last thing I do want to talk about is the fact that you are releasing a new single. So tell us about it. What's it called? Where can people find it? And just tell us about the song itself. Yeah. So the song, this is actually like the first time I'm, I'm announcing it out loud, but uh, mm-hmm. the single is called Don't Wait. And it's coming out at the end of October. Um, and you can find it, you know, wherever you listen to music, music there's always um like before I put out a single there'll be kind of a a little page on my website where you can go and pre-save and for those of you not in the the music industry it's actually if you know you have artists you love it's great if you pre-save because it shows Spotify and Apple Music that there's lots of interest in the song and then maybe they'll show it to more people or put it on playlists so that's a great way to support artists is to pre-save their music into your library and uh the cool thing about this song actually it's it's off of my record which is uh just about finished and coming out at some point next year but I actually started writing this song last summer the day before I left for Toronto for that program Mm -hmm. so I had started it I was sitting on like in this very spot that I'm sitting in right now in my apartment and I was thinking Mm -hmm. a lot about um like being in a in a relationship and also what it means to like be chasing your own dreams and doing your own thing when you have all these other people who are also relying on you and who you care about um, and whether that's a romantic relationship or a friendship or family, you know, it's it's been quite a journey for me. And I think I was trying to provide a love letter to those people who have supported me that like, you know, you can mm-hmm. go off and do your own thing. You don't need to wait for me to like find that ultimate happiness or piece of success. Like, I don't want you to feel, I don't know, like you have to just support me forever and always and put yourself to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the impetus. And I, I half wrote it here, half wrote it when I was in Toronto and it's really come together. There's lots of background vocals on it. My cousins, my friends, my sister, there's live cello, there's live violin played by my friends. It's uh, pretty special. I love that. Yeah, That's amazing. And where can people find it? Is it, so it's on Spotify, of course. Is there anywhere else people can go to find it? Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, anywhere else where you typically get music. And then the best way to kind of stay up to date with what I'm doing is uh, to follow me on Instagram. If you're on Instagram, my handle is just at Michaela Slinger. Michaela spell like Michael with an A and then Slinger is like singer, but with an L. Mm-hmm. That's my super cheesy explanation so of my funny. name whenever I'm talking to people. <laughs> That's hilarious. And I, I also have a Facebook page and I have a website and the website is also where I sell um, merch, which I just started doing earlier this year. So I had some mm-hmm. custom made candles uh, for my most recent single and those have sold out, but there's also some hand-drawn postcards and illustrations made by a friend of mine who lives outside of Toronto that are quite beautiful. Amazing. Well, okay. So last thing before we do go though, um, I know I've said last thing a few times now, but whatever, <laughs> we're going to extend this. Um, Here we are. Here we are. We're still talking. Um, okay. So if someone has never heard your music before, what is the one song you would point them towards and say, go listen to this one. I feel like it really encompasses me and you're going to love it. Oh, geez. I mean, I only have two songs out, even though I have like my album has 12 Mm -hmm. songs on it and I'm writing so much all the time. So it's always, it it feels like what's publicly available doesn't represent what, you know, where I feel like I'm at personally. Mm -hmm. I think flux is a great starting point. Um, And I also, I really do think don't wait this upcoming single it gets at my my sound as it has evolved. So it's a very full sound. As I said, there's a lot of live instruments. Mm-hmm. It's that blend of like electronic pop production, but there's also, like I said, there's just like live string instruments. And I love the way those things 
intersect. So mm-hmm. if you can, if you can wait uh, for don't wait and then listen yeah. to that, I think it'll give you a sense of what's to come. Yeah. I am so excited to go listen to it. I remember when Flux came out, um, I think maybe, so I had deleted my Instagram for a while. So my personal Instagram, I had deleted it and, you know, so I wasn't on there. I obviously wasn't following you on it because I didn't have my account, but someone had reposted because we have so many friends in common. They'd reposted Flux somewhere on Facebook and I had watched it and I literally ran over to my mom. I remember I was sitting downstairs. I'm like, look what Michaela did. This is so cool. And I made her watch it. It was just, it was so cool. No, I, I'm not even like, this is for real. Like that happened. Like, you know, I remember it very clearly. And, you know, I, I think it's just such a beautiful song. So anyone listening, if you haven't heard Flux yet, please go watch it right now. And, you know, as soon as Don't Wait is, you know, released, please don't wait, go, go listen to it. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be incredible. Just like, just like flux. So, you know, I, Michaela, thank you so much for coming on. If anyone is looking for any of, you know, what Michaela just mentioned in terms of her website, her on Spotify, etc. everything is down in the show notes. So you can find it there, including her Instagram. Um, but otherwise, Michaela, thank you so, so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Simran. This was so fun. And it was lovely to chat with you. Thanks for tuning in, gals. If you loved today's episode, make sure to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and of course, follow Michaela pre-save her song and follow Working Gals Guide on Instagram at Working Gals Guide. Everything, all the links can be found down in the show notes, so take a look there. Thanks again for tuning in and see you next week. Two kinds of bacon and all kinds of delicious. Say hello to Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. It's Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.